as I talked with Ron a bit last night, I shared with him that if he needed anything to let me know, and I talked with him right as he was going into Doug and Julie's house. And so about an hour or so later, almost 10 o'clock last night, he texted me and said, I'd love if you would preach for me. Scott will take care of the rest, um, but would you preach for me? And so you have to know, quite honestly, this is a sermon in process. It's actually one I'm working on for Mother's Day when I preach at Bridgeport and Rapapo churches. And I'm looking forward to that because Bridgeport was the first congregation that I was appointed to in 1984. And I haven't been back there since. Um, so it'll be um, some kind of completing a full circle of something for me when I preach there. I want to share with you first a text from Paul's letter to the Corinthians comes from the first letter and the first chapter. I noticed that you're going to be in Corinthians at least for some of your sermon series on the faces of who we are becoming as a church. So this may ground you as you go into that sermon series. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and don't be divided into rival groups. Instead, be restored with the same mind and the same purpose. My brothers and sisters, Chloe's people gave me some information about you that you are fighting with each other. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Thank God I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh right, I baptized the house of Stephanus too. Otherwise, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And Christ didn't send me to preach the good news with clever words so that Christ's cross won't be emptied of his meaning. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are being destroyed, but it is the very power of God for those of us who are being saved. Amen. How many of you love your family? No, I heard <laughs> So only a few of you love your family, I saw. And some of you just said no. Um, how many of you sometimes can't stand to be in the same room with your family? How many of you love your church? 
And how many times have you gotten to the place where you can't stand to be in the same sanctuary with some of your church members? So I happen to be a fan of the pop star Pink. Anybody know Pink? Okay, so the first service has you way beat. I was surprised at how many people knew about Pink. Well, listen a little bit because she's got a new album out right now. So I know she's been on Ellen and a couple other places as she's advertising her new album. I don't know that I've heard any of the songs on that album. But one of my favorite songs that Pink wrote, and it's several years old, it's called True Love. Anybody know that song? One person, two, three, okay. So you'll know I'm not making this song up. Um, some of the lyrics can't be politely read from the pulpit in this song, but here's a little bit, you'll get the gist of it. She writes, sometimes I hate every single stupid word you say. At the same time, I wanna hug you. I wanna wrap my hands around your neck. Why do you rub me in the wrong way? Why do you say the things that you say? Sometimes I wonder how we ever came to be. But without you, I'm incomplete. So I think it must be true love because nothing else can break my heart like true love. Have you ever felt that way? Experienced true love like that? And again, we've all had that experience with our friends, our family, groups that we're part of, even a church, where we truly love the people we are with, and yet at the same time, we can't stand them. And those are the people that know you and love you the best, and the ones that you know and love the best. We love them, but sometimes we don't like them very much. They know us so well, they can push our buttons when they want to, and they can do that in a way that no one else can. And yet, as the song says, I don't know how we came to be, but I am incomplete without you. The Apostle Paul Never heard Pink sing, obviously. But I can't help but think if he had heard her, he would sing this song when he was dealing with the Corinthian church. He's got harsh words for them in this opening part of his letter. He's heard through the grapevine that people are gossiping about one another in the church Chloe's people have told on each other. He knows they're fighting. He knows they're jockeying for place who's more superior than the other. And they argue about everything, each one claiming that they've got the right way. The Corinthian church had taken a cue from the culture around them. And the Corinthian church was set in a town that was a hodgepodge of culture. 
All kinds of people went through the harbor that was there. It was a dropping off place as people sailed around to the other side of the island. And so they were exposed to different ways of thinking, different religions, different ideas. And in that, they had lost sight of what had bound them together. And instead of being one, they had split into different factions. And again, each one wanted to prove they were better than the next person. But Paul reminds them in the closing sentence I read from that chapter, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. But it is the very power of God for those of us who are being saved. That's what they were to cling to. And then the remainder of this letter and the ones to follow is to talk to them about how they are to live out that charge to be the body of Christ. Have you ever gone to a wedding and heard the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians read? You know what it is? It's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. And the greatest of these is love. Now, to be honest, that's not my favorite text to read at a wedding service, because think of the context of the words that Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. I presume when a couple comes to their wedding day that they actually want to be together, right? Um, at least hopefully, that they still like each other and that they're in love. And so when I think of reading 1 Corinthians 13, I think about the people to whom this text is written. It's to a people who don't like each other, they don't want to be in the same room, and they have no thinking about the characteristics of love that Paul's telling them they need to exhibit. Now, don't get me wrong, I read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings all of the time, and, it, and it's a great reminder. But I can't help in the back of my mind to think about what it is that Paul is actually writing about and who he's writing to. I think it might be more appropriate a couple years down the line when a couple figures out that one of them squeezes the toothpaste tube from the bottom and one from the top and all of the other little things that start driving you crazy. I think it would be more appropriate to be read in that time when they have forgotten why it is they got married in the first place. In my family, in, and my, when I say my family, I mean my extended family and my family by choice. Um, some of you may have chosen family where they are not related by blood, but by experience and by um, many other things. So in that extended family, I think we've done six or seven different weddings. And we have taken on a tradition for ourselves. I believe it comes from Germany 
I don't know what they actually call it, but we call it the anti-divorce box. And what it is, in Germany there's a tradition, if it's Germany, you can all look it up later, um, there's a tradition that before the wedding day, the couple writes a letter to the other talking about why they fell in love, what it is that draws them together, and what they like about each other. I, it can be anything in that vein that the person wants. And then in the original tradition, those two letters are placed in the box as part of the wedding service and then nailed shut. We've expanded the tradition and anybody who comes to the wedding service is given a sheet of paper and asked to write some of the hopes and dreams that they have for the couple. And then we put it all in the box and again we nail it shut. And the reason we call it, well we call it the divorce or anti-divorce box is because what is supposed to happen is if the couple get to the place where the Corinthians found themselves, where they don't want to be in the same room with each other, they are to open the box and to remember what it was that drew them together in the first place. And then I'm sure you can figure out that the hope is that they relook at their lives. To my knowledge, in those family weddings we've done, nobody's opened the box yet. So we'll see where that goes. So anyway, I think maybe 1 Corinthians 13 should also be a part of that box. So again, back to that song, True Love. I think Paul would have liked it because it contains words that he's trying to give to the Corinthian church, that we need each other to be complete. But being together with all of our likes and dislikes, all of our differences, it's tough. It takes constant remembering of why it is we've been brought together in the first place. And that is because we are the very body of Jesus Christ. God has called us together. God has trusted us to continue the work that was begun in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is true love. As you read through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, you'll see that he addresses a number of different issues. How they eat, which spiritual gift is better than the other, how they should behave in worship, how they should behave in public, how they should serve communion, you name it, they have figured out a way to argue about it. And Paul, in the midst of his letters to Corinthians, gets some bad press in our present day scripture reading. One of them that we really take out of context is one that Paul is most infamous for. Anybody know what it is? We are violating it right this very minute. Anybody figure out what it is yet? 
women be silent in church. Last time I checked, you have a female speaking right now. Now let me just share with you a little bit of the context and you can start seeing how we can go astray on this. In the church that Paul was talking to in Corinth, it's probably a synagogue in which all of the men sat in the center of the church and it was curtained off and the women sat on the outer edges. So what do you do when you feel like you're a little bit marginalized but you're still in a group of people? I don't know about you, but I start chatting to the person next to me, right? Um, Because I'm bored. I have nothing to do but sit there and wait until the church service is over. I can't really hear what's going on. So it got a little loud around the edges. And then if something might have come up that was a little bit maybe interesting, maybe you'd call in and say, hey, what did they say? And so church got a little rowdy and out of hand. So Paul is saying, in this context, wait till you go home and catch up. Now, whether or not the setting was useful or not isn't the issue. Paul is addressing what's actually happening. So we don't deal with that so much in this day and age, but we deal with enough stuff, right? So how do we learn from what Paul is saying in this context, that we can bring into what's relevant for our time. Because division and differences do exist in our church. And Paul's prescription for dealing with them are as relevant today as they were in his time. Today, his talk about who baptized which baby or which adult, we play that out denominationally, right? Have you ever heard somebody say, I was baptized Catholic or I was baptized Lutheran? Anybody hear that? Um, I was baptized Methodist. We're not baptized into a denomination. We are baptized into the love of Christ we're marked as one of God's own in our baptize, in our baptism. We are cleansed by the love of God. So it's not the denomination into which we are baptized. It is into the love of God in Jesus Christ. Have you ever gotten protective of your territory in the life of the church where projects and programs seem to clash a little bit and you're trying to occupy the same space at the same time, and you start like going like this with each other, and you forget why it is we're doing the work that we've done. And in our church, relationships get to the place, again, where we can't stand the very people that we love. We become like those Corinthians, and we forget why is it that we're here anyway? So as you go out into the world and into the life of your church and family this week, I want you to remember that big picture, that we are gathered in the name and example of Jesus Christ. We are his presence in the world. And we've got to be reminded that it is God's love 
that defines us and that each one of us brings something that is necessary to the table. We've got to be reminded that our differences and our divisions are nothing against that love of God. You know all that. I, I don't have to tell you again and again, but, but we do because it's hard to remember that the love of Christ defines us when our likes and our dislikes and our differences and our methods are challenged and we're more in the mood of Pink's song. To live with and to be enriched by our differences, our diversities, even our idiosyncrasies takes practice. It takes a constant reminder of what it is that binds us together. And so my charge to you this week is to think of the challenges that you face in living as the body of Christ and take heart the words that Paul gave to the Corinthians and to know the truth of his words. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the very power of God to those of us who are being saved. Amen.